Hey everybody, get ready for a new case on criminal motives behind the crime scene tape. My name is Jay and I co-host this podcast with my dad. My dad and I have both worked in law enforcement and we also specialize in security. Join us as we dive into some of these real life cases and find out what actually happens behind the scenes and what most people don't get to hear about. It's going to be a good one, so let's jump right in. Welcome, everybody, back to Criminal Motives behind the crime scene tape. And um, got a new episode for you today. We're looking forward to it. Um, we're here to talk about cases. Some of them, most of them, we worked. Uh, there'll be one or two from time to time that are current event type cases that are bringing a lot of national attention to it. And we just hope to be able to educate people and um, see if we can't settle some questions you might have about how things work in law enforcement and investigative world and um, put you at ease a little bit about processes and why they take so long and what you can do to help and what uh, any suggestions you might have that would help us that we can legally do. Um, I've said it before, but um, when law enforcement works a case, we're bound by policies, procedures, laws, rules of law, state versions of rules of laws, and then federal versions on top of that. When the bad guys work a case, they don't have no rules. They can do whatever they want when they want. So things happen a lot faster for them than it does for us. If we want to do it the right way, which everybody expects law enforcement to do it the right way, it can take some time. So we just try to hope to bring some light to some of those issues and see if there's anything at all that we can uh, help get out there for people to understand things better. It's not intentional that things are uh, sometimes delayed, but um, during the course of the investigation, it kind of helps to know. We just hope to bring some insight to those things. The next time you run across the case and somebody in your family or a friend says, man, I wish they'd tell us this, what's holding up the process? You can just jump right in and say, well, let me tell you a little bit about what I know. And hopefully you'll learn that from us. Yeah. So uh, today we're going to be talking about a case that uh, is going to be exciting. And I'm sure you'll be interested. And if you have any questions or comments, be sure to leave them with us. And we'll get to them as fast as we can. So without further ado, tell me about what you got on your mind today. So I was working and, uh, you know, well, okay, we'll say the continental U.S. So I was working a case here in the U.S., and this case uh, was probably one of my most, I'd say wild, and you'll see what I mean when I, when I say it's a wild case. So one day we get a call from local PD, and they say, hey, we just got a complaint from a 16-year-old boy who said that when he went to a local meeting for the Civil Air Patrol, there was somebody there that was volunteering. 
he was a part of the Air Force and he was assigned to the base that I was at. He was in the Civil Air Patrol before he joined. So he went there to help volunteer and everything. Uh, the complaint was when the 16-year-old boy, we'll call him Johnny. When Johnny went to the restroom, um, the volunteer, we can call him Bob. Bob went into the bathroom with him while he was in there, um, walked up to him, and grabbed the 16-year-old's uh, gentalia. And the 16-year-old was not okay with it. Uh, it was not consensual. And so he told his parents, who then called the police and filed a report with them. So we, we got the interview of Johnny from the local police. We watched it. And um, the, the one good thing about, or, you know, some of the good things about my agency is that our interviews are very in-depth. Uh, we ask a lot of questions. Uh, we're trained for really <laughs> for a long time. Like I think we spent a week all together, a week of training just in, vi in victim interviews. And then there's even more training you can go to if you desire. So we ask a lot of questions. We get a lot of details, and we try not to leave any stones unturned. Uh, local police, and it, it's not that they are not trying or they don't care or anything. They won't ask as much detailed questions as like a federal agency will. And, now, what yeah. made it, um, So you're an Air Force investigator. And was it because the suspect was Air Force that they involved you with it or the Civil Air Patrol or both? Or what made local law enforcement turn it over to you guys? So we, as an agency, try to establish a good relationship with local law enforcement. So that way they know if there's anybody that works on base, does anything with the base, is in the Air Force, is in the military at all, and they're in that area, that they will contact us whenever something happens. Because we get involved when it, it's called a nexus. And a nexus just basically means a connection. So if there's a connection between the, the crime and the Air Force, or the Department of Defense, which is an umbrella that has all the military branches, then we can get involved. So because the suspect was Air Force, we were we were involved on this. Oh, hey, Kitty. It's blue. Yeah, bluey. <laughs> For those that don't know, that cat is, what, like 10 years old? I think Amber told me he's closer to 13 or 14. Oh. Yeah. But he doesn't act like it. No, <laughs> he's got the energy of like a five-year-old cat. Yes. That's funny. He's spunky too. Oh, man. Yep. So funny. He used to, and if you live in Florida, you know that sandhill cranes, they're big, tall birds. And that cat used to run and just like <laughs> jump and 
flare his legs and arms out and just like try and make himself as big as possible to jump right at him to scare him. Oh man, yeah, he does so that to the German Shepherd now, so oh. no fear. That, that yeah, that cat has no fear. It's so funny. All right, anyways, got sidetracked, but it was good. Uh, get you know, give everybody a little look into our personal life. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, so. Once we got the information, we saw the interview, we knew that we needed to do something as far as start an investigation. So we, we, start, we initiated an investigation. Uh, we worked with local law enforcement, and most people would think, oh, yeah, let's go, get, let's go get the bad guy. Let's bring him in. Let's interview him. We took a little bit of a different route. We, um, we got, his, we got uh, the victim's phone. And we did an undercover op where uh, where we pretended to be the victim, Johnny. We pretended to be Johnny, and we started messaging Bob. So we opened we opened the case up to uh, an undercover op, and so as we were messaging Bob, he was responding, and we got him to talk to us a little bit more. Um, and this was all done by local PD. Local PD did this undercover op. Uh, at that point, we were not. We were not. Um, it's a weird thing, jurisdiction. So, all this happened in their in their like realm and in, in their city. So we were coordinating with them. Uh, they asked us if they if we had a problem with them doing an undercover undercover op. We said no. So. We kind of we, we didn't guide them or anything. We just said, "Hey, that would be that would be great. Let's do it." As we're talking to Bob as Johnny, we told him, "Hey, I think I'm into that kind of thing. I just wasn't expecting it when you did that. It was just kind of unexpected, and I wasn't okay with it then. But now I think I'm okay with it." Uh, however, I have a friend from school. He's he, he's gay. He's a little bit more knowledgeable in this stuff and i think i would be comfortable if he was brought in on this with us and so of course bob was like yeah great sounds awesome so then we say yeah this friend's name is uh trevor or something i don't know so we said hey i have a friend named trevor and i think he he would Get, you know, he'd be on board with this. It would make me feel more comfortable. So Bob was all for it. Then we drop in the line saying, yeah, he, he, I just texted him. He's, he's, he's into it. He thinks it'd be great. It'd be a good time. Uh, but I just wanted to let you know he's, he's only 14. He's almost 15, but he's only 14. And so Bob goes, ah, 14. Okay, that doesn't matter. And so... Mm-hmm. That's when that's when we knew. All right, we got we got a little bit something deeper now. So now uh, we set up an arrangement. We said, "Hey, meet us at the mall. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll all get in together, and then we can go somewhere." Problem is, I don't know where to go. And so Bob said, "Well, I can go get us a hotel room, and we can just stay there for the night." And so then. After more conversation, Bob 
sent some pictures. He sent some details saying, hey, this is, you know, this is the hotel we're going to go stay at. Let's meet at the mall. And then he sent some uh, explicit pictures, which is another no-no. Um, and so then we set up the meet. Now, we have eyes on him from when he leaves the base all the way to when he gets to the mall. And so once he gets to the mall, uh, we let local law enforcement know, like, hey, he's he's there. He just parked. This is his car. This is... They already knew all this stuff, but we were just verifying with them, like, hey, this is this is the car. This is the plate, blah, blah, blah. So once he parks, uh, we we parked kind of towards the back and uh, we watched like four cop cars just kind of swarm. They, they like drove around in a circle. It was almost like a like sharks moving in on like a fish or, a, or like a, a something to eat. They're all just like circling around. <laughs> so then uh, they they block off all the, all the lanes. They do a what's called a high risk traffic stop. Um, and it wasn't. It wasn't really high. It wasn't necessarily high risk, but it's one of those things where if you're going to do something like this and there's minors involved and things like that now, because there's, it's a felony level deal, it can be included as a high risk. So we stopped them and got them out of the car. Um, we searched the car, found, you know, things that go along with those kinds of activities that he was planning to do. And then we take him to the station. So it was myself and a detective from the local law enforcement agency. We interview him. He, he talks to us, tells us everything, admits, you know, he knew how old uh, Trevor was and he knew how old Johnny was. And, you know, he, he, he admits everything. And so, with that, now we have a confession. Uh, we we wrap up the interview, and then we go back to base and we get uh, a search warrant for his room because we use the information that we had. So we knew that he would, uh, you know, he would accept sexual favors from a minor. We knew that he would send pictures of, you know, genitalia to a minor and we knew that he had intentions to do thing sexual things with minors because of the um, stuff that we found in his car and and then his confession so we used all of that as uh evidence in an affidavit so we wrote up an affidavit we wrote up the search warrant we put in there exactly what we're looking for you know, we were looking for um, at that point we based off of so this is a phrase that we use in law enforcement based off of our experience and training because he was looking for uh, sexual activities with a minor he could be using electronic devices to look up child pornography so we got a search warrant for electronic devices we got a search warrant for anything um, related to children in any kind of way so if there was like uh pictures or um, really just anything anything that could relate to a child um so then 
after we had all that stuff written up, we take the affidavit and the search warrant to, uh, well, so in the military, there's certain people, there's, they're called commanders, you know, they, they run certain things on base, and there's only a few of them that are designated as uh, military authorization. So we have to go to them, present the facts, pre present the affidavit, supporting evidence, all that stuff. We have, we have to present all that to them and then tell them we're trying to seek a search warrant for this stuff. And then they say yay or nay, depending on what we have collected. Um, this one was kind of like a kind of like a slam dunk. It was pretty easy to identify. And so they gave us the, the go ahead. So we go to his living quarters on base and he had computers and phones and some tablets and stuff, hard drives, things like that. So we had to collect all of that. Uh, then this is where it starts. I mean, if it's not wild already, it starts to get more wild. Um, we get into the, the weeds. We get into his, you know, his stuff and we find a bag with uh, powder in it, white powder. And so now we're thinking, okay, well, now we have potentially drugs on our hand. Uh, at that time, fentanyl was a really big thing. So we had to like mask up and glove up and get all kinds of crazy because it could have been, it could have been fentanyl. And if we were exposed to too much of that, we could have died. So we, then <laughs> we have to seek, uh, we have to seek another search warrant because the search warrant that we had was for electronic devices. It said nothing about drugs. But the thing is, if we discover something that's illegal or potentially illegal during a, a legal search, then we can seize that. And so that, that's another little bit of uh, law enforcement knowledge is that if they find something that's illegal during a legal search, they can also seize that too. They just have to get authorization. So what we do is we get a telephone authorization. We call up the same person and we say, hey, during the search, we found this bag with white powder in it, and it looks like it could be potential drugs. So then they give us a verbal authorization saying, yes, go ahead and collect it. What that means is we can collect it, take it in, process it for evidence and everything. But after, <clears throat> immediately after that, we have to go get a written authorization from that same person. So uh, that's how the military does it. Uh, do you have any kind of different experience in getting verbal authorization for search warrants? No. Um, each state's going to be different. Um, one of the things I was going to ask was with this being a military and a civilian uh, investigation, does this guy look at charges from either local law enforcement, state law, or military law, or both? What, what are you looking at as far as that goes? So when it comes to charging the military justice system the military uh, the jags the military uh, judge advocates that's it the judge advocates will contact local uh, 
law, uh, local law enforcement to find out who is their prosecutor, like who is the prosecutor okay. that would take up this case. Once I find that out, uh, or we will find that out, and then we'll tell, <clears throat> we'll tell the Jags. So Jags will call the prosecutor, the local prosecutor, and say, hey, we, we think we have a, you know, we can get more severe punishment through our system uh so if you are okay with it we would like to request jurisdiction over this case now do most of these charges kind of sound the same as far as the title of the charge whether it's military or uh law enforcement most of them do most of them you know you can probably read it and it'll read across the same thing um there's certain there's certain things where like the, the the definitions are a little bit different um, but it's all like you can you can look it up and see what the difference is and, okay. and how you know well this means this in military language but it means this in you know state language. Okay, all right. So then they've got um, to work out whether it's going to be a military charge or a law enforcement charge, right. and and then as far as the search warrant goes. You're very uh, specific when you do that search warrant. And uh, like you said, if you're searching for electronics, um, that could contain those kinds of items you're looking for. And I think the rub comes in, and like I said, depending on what state it is, if you are looking in a duffel bag for more iPhones, say this, you know, or hard drives, and you discover what appears to be a powder and you test it, and it field tests um, positive for, say, cocaine, you don't have to get a secondary search warrant to cover that bag because the bag itself was within the scope of the search for any kind of electronics or hard drives or anything like that. So you could go like that. Where you run into problems are um, if you just state that, um, let's say you're, you're looking for drugs, and um, somehow where you're looking isn't where drugs would be located and you keep looking and find something then, then you might be treading water into an area that you need a second search warrant or a verbal search warrant to cover that. And I don't remember, now this is probably because electronics and uh, technology is advanced, but I think there's probably a way from right at the scene to even get a written search warrant now. You know, they just bang it out onto some iPad or something, and next thing you know, here you go. Yeah, but maybe. You have, to, you have to follow the guidelines of reasonable search and seizure. And, you know, is it reasonable to think that <clears throat> looking in that bag, you might find a cell phone? Yeah, it is. Right. But look there. There's, you know, half a key of cocaine. So, yeah, you can pop him for that as well. Um, you wouldn't open up a sealed condom to look for a cell phone. Right. You know? So right. if you were looking for drugs hidden inside of a sealed, you know, something the size of a Band-Aid or a condom where uh, drugs might be kept, but you won't find a cell phone in there. So that would be crossing that line. So it had to make sense. It had to be reasonable. And uh, a reasonable person could expect uh, some measure of privacy on that. So you got this guy and you've posed as a victim 
and then you've introduced a, a minor to him and he seems to be okay with it. So I have a feeling I know where this is going to go next. So uh, move on. Yeah. You know what's up. So when you think about it, I'm going to use this as an example. So when we did our search warrant, we said electronic devices. Okay. It could be something as small as this. Mm-hmm. Is this is the size of a potential like flash drive or something. So it could be something this size, you know, for comparison, um, that could be taken during that search warrant. So we're looking anywhere that somebody could hide that. And um, so when we looked in this particular place for stuff, we found a CD and then we also found that, that bag of white powder. So, once we got the verbal authorization, we seized it, uh, and we kept going. We got done. You know, we finished our our search warrant. Uh, we left the, uh, the the living quarters, went back to the office, and started processing uh, evidence. And so, unlike the shows and uh, TV and movies and stuff we didn't process the electronic stuff right then and there we didn't have some magic machine that just scanned everything and told us what was on it we have to package it up and send it off to our lab so our lab uh, is located i believe in colorado i think that was the one that was that was assigned to us so and there's only like two there's like one in colorado and one in like new jersey or something so we send it off. They they are the ones that hook it up, make sure that everything is copied from it, and then they send us basically a huge hard drive with everything compiled into it. So they send us a big old hard drive that we can look at and review and make copies and and um, you know just make extra folders so we can drag it into that folder and say, hey, this is what we're looking at. This is, you know, this is suspected something, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so same thing with the, with the white powder. We, we could have field tested it right there, but because of the dangers of fentanyl, uh, mm-hmm. we sent it off to the lab. So we sealed it. It was already in a bag. So it's not like, mm-hmm. kind of like what you were saying earlier, we don't have to like dump it out of the bag and collect it into a, a individual thing. We just say we took the white powder in the container that, was, yeah. that it was in, uh, which is fine. They, people understand that there's no like maybe uh, like a, a lawyer who might be losing might try and say like well you didn't say you were claiming the bag you know something maybe but he wouldn't get very far because they're going to be like well duh they're going to take the bag too yeah. so they um, we sent it off to the lab they examined it and the powder comes back as a synthetic cocaine and so what he was doing was he was ordering this synthetic cocaine from a foreign country and they were shipping it to him in the mail so now we have another aspect to this now we have the u.s postal (coughs) service involved and for those who don't know, the U.S. Postal Service has investigators. They are federal agents, and they were actually the first federal law enforcement. Fun fact. Hmm. So U.S. Postal Service investigators, or inspectors, they're called inspectors, uh, they 
basically control everything that goes through the mail. They also do a lot of internet uh, crimes as well, because usually people will order something off the internet that's illegal or whatever, and it'll get shipped to them through the mail. So now they have authority to search that whole realm. So we got the U.S. Postal Service inspector. I'm just going to call him inspector from now on. We got the inspector involved, and he was able to get us authorization to go into uh, Bob's mailbox or his P.O. box on base. And so we were able to go in there, and we find more powder that had been delivered to him. Mm. So uh, we send that off to the lab again just to get it tested again and it was it came back same thing the synthetic cocaine so then we get the computers back we get all the we get the hard drive back with all the information on it we start digging through it and sure enough we find we find some child pornography on there uh and it, it was a, you know it wasn't just one or two uh it was, it was a good amount and for military, for what I've, for cases that I've worked when it involves child pornography, they have to have at least 10 items, which could be a picture, a video, a whatever, a drawing, something. They have to have 10 items. And so this person had way more than 10 items. So we were good on that, that end. Uh, we, start sending all the information to the Jags. We're like, hey, this is what we found. This is what we got. Um, stuff like that. So I think, all right, this guy, you know, he's probably going to he's probably gonna get a good amount of uh, time. No big deal. You know, we, we're, we're going to wrap this case up, put a pretty bow on it, and send it off. About a month later, after that whole incident happened, I'm getting ready for what's called the air show, which is at military bases. They do a big show where they have a bunch of planes and it's a big festival. It's open to the public. People can go on base, see the planes and they do like a bunch of tricks and stuff. It's, it, it's a good time. Like, and there's model airplanes that everybody can like go and look at and they can sit in the cockpit of a jet and stuff like that. It's, it's fun. So I'm getting ready for the air show. Uh, it was the night before the air show, and I knew I was going to be working all day in the sun. So I was like, I'm going to try and get a good night's sleep. Uh, I get a call on my work phone, and it's from the uh, BDOC, which is the Base Defense Operator Operations Center. And that's the local, or no, excuse me, not the local, the military police. That's their like central hub. And okay. so they call me and they say, hey, um, we have someone that uh, attempted or no, that ran somebody over and fled the scene and we got him stopped at the gate. And I think it's a guy that you've been working with. Is it Bob? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm on my way. <laughs> so I get dressed. <laughs> I mean, like I had just gotten in the bed. I just laid down. I was ready to go to sleep, and I got that call. So I get dressed, go. Uh, I go to the front gate. 
I see that they have Bob. I'm like, hey, Bob, what are you doing? And so we get him to the holding center for um, the, the military police. We get him to the holding center there. Uh, and we're like trying to understand what's going on because there was like, at first it was he ran somebody over, then he kidnapped somebody, then he tried to flee the base. There was like all these different things going on. And so when things like that happen, this is what can happen. Information can be skewed. There could be all kinds of crazy things coming out. There could be, you know, shots fired when really there was nothing. Like people, there are some people that get like really amped up when something's happening in front of them. And they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. I think this happened. But and then it turned out like the car backfired or something like. So then they're like, oh, God, he started shooting at me. So there's there was a lot of information going on. So we got all of the victims, all, all the people that were involved at this um, at the police holding center. So we find out that there was a party. There's a party there at this house on base. Uh, people were having a good time. Um, and then Bob shows up to the party. And he's talking to some people. He's having a good time. Now, mind you, he is underage. He's not over 21. So, well, he wasn't then. And so he, you know, he's partaking. He's drinking, having a good time with everyone. Um, and, you know, usually for like misdemeanor, small level stuff, like that's base police. Like if somebody's drinking underage or drinking and driving, like that's base police. They handle that. They're not going to call us for that. So he's there and he's talking to, uh, I gotta come up with all these different names. So he's there with Carl. We'll say Carl. Uh, Carl was there drinking and talking to him. And Bob's like, hey, don't I know you? And Carl's like, no, I don't think so. We've never really met before. And Bob's like, no, I think I know you. Uh, yeah, I think I know you because we just had sex last night. And Carl's like, at this point, Carl thinks that he's playing a joke. Like, he, he really doesn't know this guy. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that was us. That was, that was totally us. He's like going along with it, just being dumb. Uh, and or he's pretending to just joke around with them because he thinks it's a joke. So then throughout the whole night, Bob's just like, yeah, you know, I mean, we had a good time. And Carl's like, yep, we sure did. And he's just going along with it. After a little while, then Bob starts to get mad. He's like, hey, why are you acting like you don't know what happened? Why are you acting like we didn't just, you know, have sex last night? And Carl's like, all right, man, I, I, I was I, I thought you were joking. And so I was going along with it. But now you're starting to, like, weird me out. Like, no, I don't know you. We'd never met before tonight. And then Bob starts getting angry. And he's like, yes, we did. Carl's like, whoa, dude. All right. Joke's over. I don't know you. I don't know what's going on. Please stop saying these things to me. So then Bob gets infuriated. And he's like, you know what? That's it. He and this was the words of Carl. He tried to jump over the kitchen island. He tried to jump over, but he was a little larger 
and couldn't make it. So he like fell back down. <laughs> and now, uh, Bob is your original suspect. Right. So Bob's the original suspect of this uh, whole thing. His case, you all sent off to the JAG and he's not been under arrest or anything. He's been allowed to freely just continue on with his life. Yes. Until, what? He gets summoned to court? Yes. So okay. that's they didn't a, give you probable cause to go ahead and snag him right then? Depending on how severe it is, some commanders, some leaders will say, you know, this guy seems like he's going to be trouble. I'm going to confine him to the base. He's not allowed to leave. And if he does, then obviously he has to come back. And when he comes back, then he's going to get in trouble even more. So then we're going to confine him even more. Now, there are certain things where we can pursue um, pretrial confinement. And so we can put him in jail. What that does, though, is it starts the speedy trial clock. And so everybody has a right to a speedy trial, you know, in due yeah. time, like, in, in a reasonable time. So we don't typically do that unless the crime is very severe. Okay. And um, in, in this case, uh, leadership on both the JAG and my agency side both said, we're not going to pursue that. We don't think he's necessarily a, a, a danger to society. Said the guy that he got run over by him. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, uh yeah so then they they said yeah we're we didn't, we're not going to pursue that so we didn't we we figured we'll leave it to the commander the commander will keep an eye on him and that'll be it and i i don't remember i think he was confined to the base he wasn't allowed to leave base but i don't i don't remember um so anyways yeah we get back to the back to the story so carl uh, realizes like he Bob's trying to fight him. He just tried to jump over the kitchen island, try to fight me. So then Bob, uh, we found out later that Bob had been using this synthetic cocaine because he got more. Uh, but we found out that he had been using it, and we, when we were talking to Carl, Carl was like, "I don't know what was wrong with him." Like obviously he was saying really crazy stuff, but then he. After he tried to jump over the kitchen island, he fell back down. He goes, hey, just wait until I tie my shoes. And so he ties his shoes. And then he starts. And then he comes around. So he comes around the island. And uh, that's when, like, you know, punches were thrown and stuff like that. Uh, I don't remember the exact details of the fight. But I know it didn't last very long. Everybody was aware of the situation at that point. Because, mm -hmm. you know, Bob was yelling about his shoes. And then. It, all the attention was there. So uh, it got broken up. So then Bob goes outside and he has a, he has a friend with him. Uh, Andrew, I don't know. He has a friend with him. And so the friend is like, Hey man, let's just go. Let's get out of here. Like, obviously this is not going well. Let's just get out of here. Um, and this friend is, you know, he's not gay he's straight. He's not like his boyfriend or anything like that. So there's no issue there, but uh, Andrew's just, you know, being a good guy, he's like trying to look out for his friend. Like, come on, let's let's get out of here. So, Andrew and Bob get in the car. He speeds off, and then, according to Andrew, uh, Bob says, "You know what? No, 
this isn't okay. Pulls back around to the house. Like he does like a loop in the neighborhood, pulls back around. At this point, everybody was outside. And when he, when Bob gets out of the car, uh, he's like yelling at Carl. Everybody's like there uh, outside and he's yelling at Carl. And Carl's like, hey, look, man, like, I know you're mad, but don't, don't get in the car. You're drunk. Like, don't get in the car. Don't drive. Everybody's like saying the same thing to him. Don't drive. Don't get in the car. And Bob like tries one more time. He's like, I'm going to give you one last chance to admit that, you know, we were together last night. And Carl's like, no, dude, I've never met you until tonight. And I don't like, I, I really want you to stop saying that stuff and stop doing this right now. And so Bob looks at him and says, you know what? I'm going to kill you. So Bob gets into the car. He revs up his car. He's about uh, like 20, 30 feet away. He parked like a couple houses down and walked up. I don't know why, but he gets, goes back, gets in his car. He drives up and he goes to run up onto the driveway and hit Carl with his car. The problem is he hit the curb and the curb redirected him. So now you got Carl standing there. But uh, off to the side of Carl is, make up a name for me. <laughs> a bunch of other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Alex. So, Alex is off to the side of Carl. And when Bob's car redirected, it hit Alex. So, like, he went from driving straight towards Carl to getting redirected by the curb. And then he hit Alex with his car and Alex hit the hood. The windshield flew off. Uh, and then Bob drove away. So at this point, people are calling 911. They're like, Hey, there's this guy in this car. He, he just, he just hit somebody. He just like ran him over. He said he was going to kill somebody and ran somebody over. And now he's running out, running out the base or he's driving away and he's got somebody with him. That's where the whole kidnapping thing came in. So he's, he drives towards the gate, and that's when base police stop him, and they, they, do a, they, they arrested him there uh, and brought him into the uh, holding center. So at this point, now we have uh, a whole other slew of charges that are coming his way. Mm -hmm. And once we got the story, you know, I gave you the story as it happened, but it took us a lot of interviewing and a lot of uh time to put all that story together like we had to interview neighbors we had to interview all the people that were at the party so it, it was a lot but we finally got it all done um at that time once we went to talk to carl no bob we went to talk to bob at that point here he had a lawyer so he was like hey i already have a lawyer you're not you're not going to talk to me so we're like all right fine no big deal so we Bypass the subject interview because he he requested a lawyer. So um, we left. We went and we seized his car because now it's a weapon. So we seized his car, put it into a warehouse where we we store stuff, and we went back, interviewed all the victims. Everybody talked to us. We talked to Carl. We talked to um, Alex, the guy that got ran over. Um, 
We had to take photographs of Alex's injuries and just a bunch of a bunch of investigative work. So then we get search authorization for the car. We had to get it to seize the car, but then we had to get another one to search the car. Uh, so this time we use the evidence that we had already collected as information for the affidavit to try and collect more of this evidence. So we were looking for drugs. We were looking for uh, more electronics. We were looking for pretty much anything, anything that could have been involved. Um, we search his room. We search his car. Uh, we find more drugs. We find more uh, electronic devices that had internet capability. So I think his order was that he wasn't allowed to go on the internet or have devices that could go on the internet, but he did. He still had them. So, um, yeah, we, we collect all that stuff and we, once we had possession of the car, we had to do, uh, some processing to make sure that we could match that the car was indeed there and used to run over um, Alex. Yeah, yeah. if he got run over by that, wouldn't be hard to prove because the amount of physical evidence left behind from fingerprints possibly on the hood and yep. any kind of, um, if his head got hit, any hair he might have had if he wasn't you know, bald, um, DNA could be transferred that way. I mean, there's a lot of ways to prove that car was the car. Yep. So, so we dusted it for prints. We got, we lifted the prints off of the headlight and the hood. We took DNA swabs of the car and we collect. So when we interviewed Alex, we had to collect the um, DNA from him so we could use it. So, well, not us, but the lab. So the lab could use it to match it to what was collected off the car. And if it right. matched, then it was a it was a done deal. Like that's that's proof right there. So, all a lot of stuff happened. Um, when it came down to the trial, the original victim, um, I don't even remember what the I called kid, him. the kid Johnny, yeah, Johnny, uh, Johnny was he was pretty uh he was pretty upset by the whole situation like he was just upset with everything that happened he didn't want anything to do with it he didn't want to talk about it anymore so he ended up not participating he he didn't testify um and so i don't even think that was necessarily used um but when it came down to it he got charged with everything um for the drugs and you know it'd be good to get your your perspective on this too so the drugs because they were a synthetic drug and they weren't scheduled it wasn't on like a dea schedule um they weren't considered drugs they were considered mind-altering substances which in the military we have charges for drugs you know we have article 112a and we have a couple others but for synthetic drugs we don't have anything because it's not a scheduled drug and so it falls under an article called Article 92, which is failure to obey an order. And the order that he was not obeying was the fact that he was using a mind-altering substance because that is listed somewhere else in some other bylaw and yada yeah. yada. So 
uh, everything got charged. Um, he pled guilty to most of it. There's a couple things that he didn't, um, but and I don't remember the exact outcome. But um, and with the guilty plea, uh, he was given a little bit of grace, and especially because it was his first offense, well, first collection of offenses. Um, I, he only got eight years, and uh, and he had to serve them in a military penitentiary. Okay. Yeah, um, a lot of times when there's involvement of a non-specific nature, um, there's usually a clause somewhere in the general orders or um, even state law that cover the back door, so to speak, of that particular type situation. Synthetic drugs was a new thing. I don't know. I guess it's been about five years now when they first hit the market with spice and mm-hmm. all these other things. Um, and they quickly put them on the books as a schedule when they know about them. But up until that point, you know, there are laws that will cover those kinds of things, especially when it involves either law enforcement or military or something to do with conduct unbecoming or your, uh, mind-altering substances, uh, charges, so forth. Um, there's a lot about being fit for duty and compromising your fitness for duty. And there's a lot of things that can be done. And sometimes they carry more penalties than uh, the regular charge would. Um, when Al Capone was put in jail, it wasn't for all the crazy that associated with the mob thing. It was for tax evasion. Right. And he spent you know, many years in jail just for tax evasion. Kind of doesn't matter how you get them, just as long as you get them, you know. And sometimes um, these variances in the laws are the bad guy's worst enemy because they can't think of everything, you know. And, uh, you know, but that's good to hear. I mean, that's a crazy story. It's This person is definitely on the wrong path at the time. And, um, you wonder, or I did, I wondered, man, with all this stuff going on, how do you have find time to be a soldier boy? You know, I mean, when did he ever find time to do his real job? So I guess that's the age old question, but, uh, certainly very intriguing, very involved. I'm sure countless hours. And, um, you probably felt a lot like that first victim. Like I ain't testifying. I'm done with this thing. I don't want to hear nothing else about it. You know, <laughs> it can be overwhelming. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I did have to go testify for that case. And, yeah. um, but at that point I was like, I was ready for it. I was, I was ready to do it because, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I did for that case. And we, we really needed to, make sure that we sealed the deal on our end. So, um, yeah, I was, I was definitely done working it. I mean, I was definitely done losing sleep over it and, and working countless hours trying to get everything done because, you know, I tell you that whole story and all that stuff that happened, but there's so many hours of paperwork and interviewing and, and writing up everything and just, all kinds of stuff that we have to do. Uh, not to mention reviewing that hard drive that took like a 
week just to get through all that stuff on that hard drive. Like, yeah. so there's just so much stuff that goes involved. And then you got to work all your other cases. And at that time we had a ton of cases going on. So it was, it was, a, it was a lot of work. So I was ready to be done with that case and, and yeah, get him where he needed to be. Now did, um, any victims come forward after the fact once it was known that this guy was who he was? No, we weren't able to uncover any um, other victims. None, none other than the, you know, the, the guy that got ran over and the original victim. But um, what about from the um, electronic equipment? Was it just downloads he did or was any of it a victim where he, recorded any of it or took pictures no it was all it was all downloads um not, nothing self-produced or anything like that it was it was just him you know downloading right. it, so. and you were practicing something to hold your own sanity together during all this i mean there had to be countless hours that it was hard to leave it at the door when you came home yeah i um at that time, I was, man, I don't even know. I think I just toughed it out and did my best. And um, there were some times where I, it almost helped me to go to sleep if I took like a, a quick, like, glass of whiskey. And it was just, it was just to help me go to sleep. It wasn't even really like, it wasn't because like I felt like I needed it. It just I I, I guess kind of I felt like I needed it because I, I I used it to help me relax enough to go to sleep. Um, you know I couldn't I couldn't really you know do other things to relax like I can't take a um, medication or or you know some people will smoke marijuana to relax and stuff like that. Like I can't do that stuff, so I have to go. You know, at that time I figured going to alcohol was the best thing. And it was just to get me to calm down and, and then be able to go to sleep because my mind was constantly racing with all the things I had to do and all the stuff that needed to happen. Um, eventually, you know, I, I broke that habit. I, I didn't feel like I needed it to sleep anymore, even when things were chaotic. Um, yeah. I really had to, I really had to bolster my, my faith. I had to bolster my faith in God and, um, you know, there, there was a church that we went to that it was, it, it was okay. Um, and, you know, there were times where uh, God spoke to me uh, when I needed it. So um, that was really what I did. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you have to guard your heart. And um, you can't look at stuff like that over the course of any amount of time without it affecting unless you can like shield your heart somehow and wrap it in steel or something. Um, You have to be able to do that so that you can maintain a clear head and clear direction on where you need to go. Um, Your uh, grandmother will ask you this one day, but she'll want to know the same thing. How do you look at all the ugly and all the bad in the world and still be able to come home and play with the kids and stuff. And the truth of it is when you do get home and 
the biggest problem you have at home is whether or not there's chocolate chip cookies or Doritos for supper. And the mm-hmm. kids don't care either way. They're just happy, you know. Yep. And um, that's how you deal with it is you dive right into the good things. And um, that's one of the ways, at least. And, um, you know, that that can melt away a lot of anguish when you look into their eyes and, you know, they have serious problems. You know, these are not nacho Doritos. These are ranch. I don't like ranch. Go get nacho. You know, it's like these are the real problems of the world. And right. you're going to do it, you know, <laughs> tell her to quit putting my toothbrush in the toilet, you know, those kind of things. So um, really cool case, um, really good insight. And I know you only briefly touched on the mountain of work that it took to get you to that point. But um, I think the interesting part is um, the Military works with the law enforcement side to see which is the best outcome for the case. Right. Um, I'm sure the, the crazy side of it is when you have to side with one side and you want them to move faster or you want things to happen faster. If it were me, I'd be one that guy in jail. The minute I saw child pornography on his thing, he needed to be in jail just right. to make sure there were going to be no more victims, yeah. you know, and if, these were, you know, at the time, at least it was just downloads, not that that lessens it any, but he's not actually victimizing people himself. So if he's been victimizing people himself, man, I would say lock him away, you know, and put it to him. Right. But uh, <laughs> Everybody gets a process. Everybody gets, you know, a fair and equal process. So, And there are some things that are just not able to be moved along fast enough the resources aren't there and people don't understand that you know it just you hate the overused word of victimless crimes but when a person is only downloading the material and not victimizing a person it takes a back seat to somebody that was doing that so in my mind drives it's the same as if he was victimizing people um, he's doing it in his mind. He needs to be locked away so he doesn't put that into action, you know. So good case, good involvement, um, nice angle with the uh, law enforcement and military side. Um, I myself have not had a case where I've worked with military, um, but uh, bizarrely enough, sometimes working with the federal government can seem like you're working with the military. So at some point we'll talk about some of those cases. Yeah. Uh, usually they just want to be there for all the flash and excitement and the uh, shock and all, and then they're gone and you're left with all the work. You know? so <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that on another time. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yep. All right. Any final thoughts you want to add? No. Uh, yeah. Well, the um, I also divulged in food a lot. Like I gained some weight when I was working there. I didn't have any time to work out, but I had plenty of time to eat. <laughs> uh, so I, I divulged in food, and yeah, you know, I just had my son, um, and he was he was a brand new baby. So it was good to come home and just 
see the innocence through him. Mm-hmm. It was good. Um, and yeah, sometimes so going to the uh, you know local working with uh, military or federal or whatever, it's really you know we we really just look for all the benefits of the relationship. So um, in my case, the the local police had the ability to do undercover op a lot quicker than we could have because we would have had to get some approvals and stuff. So they were they were able to do that, and then we were able to use you know our resources for things that locals it would have took them a lot longer or they would have to reach out to somebody else to get some resources to do that so uh the the good thing about military and federal is that our budgets are pretty big and so we have we have some resources that we can use uh and so we were able to assist locals in that way and uh so we just find the best benefits out of everything and sometimes the federal side not talking about military but the federal side can move so much quicker than anybody it just depends like it all it all just depends on what the case is what the evidence is all that so um but yeah it was it was a good case um you know i learned a lot from it and and you know with with any subject so like so bob uh you know you always some people may not think this way, but I do. And in which I hope that this time away from society kind of helps make them, uh, you know, better as a person or, or realize what they were doing wasn't okay. And, um, and they can get back into society and, and be a different person. You know, it's not that they didn't hurt people, but people can get a second chance. People can learn to forgive and, change and things like that so you know i do hope that bob comes out of this uh you know a a different person yeah i don't know i don't have a lot of faith in um people changing i mean there's some that will i think the majority don't and uh i didn't mean to minimize the victimization of the very first incident that got this thing started in the first place you know in the bathroom with the guy you know it's like I think, uh, man, I don't know. I think, I guess it depends on availability of resources and so forth, but I really think that um, you have to minimize the chances of making another victim. I mean, this kid, I don't know how he survived it. I don't know what he's doing, how he dealt with it. Um, I would tend to want to look, closer at him too and make sure there's no backstory on that that he wasn't giving off signals that this guy got confused and when they went to the bathroom you know it's on or whatever um i'm sure you guys looked at it pretty hard um but if he's truly an innocent victim he'd probably never volunteer again for another kind of deal like that at least he'd be on high alert but the reality of the um innocence lost a person, um, you know, it's, it's pretty substantial. I wanted to ask you if in your unit, were you stuck working just those kinds of cases or did you have the opportunity to work other kinds of cases? How were cases assigned to you guys? So with my agency, we have 
field agents and there's so many field agents that are assigned to a unit and the field agents work anything ranging from fraud to sex crimes to child crimes to um, suicides and so we we have a wide range of crimes that we can and drugs and stuff like that we we have a wide range of things that we investigate and so I didn't necessarily have to work the child crimes or the sex crimes. Um, I ended up working a lot of them. And my unit was so small that we all basically just pitched in on everybody's cases. Like anything we could do to help each other out, we were trying to do that because yeah. we, we had a ton of cases, not a lot of agents. Uh, I don't know what happened. We just, that particular base just went haywire <laughs> in one year and just all kinds of things came out so um we were we were very overworked and understaffed and it's hard to you know say hey i know we have the right amount of agents per, per the base populace but we need more like there's way too much crime going on here we need more <laughs> And it's hard to like make that argument because then the higher ups are going to be like, well, when it settles down, then you're going to have an extra person and then we have to deal with that. So there's a lot of logistics, a lot of problems, but in that, in lieu of getting another person, we just helped each other out as much as we could. Even the yeah. people that weren't, even leadership, leadership was running cases. Like it was, it was pretty crazy. Usually that stuff doesn't happen, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot. Yeah. Fortunately during my tenure, I could pick, you know, what kind of cases I wanted to work by being assigned to that unit. You know, I couldn't just sit and pick, but if I wanted to work, you know, drugs, you went to that unit. If you want to work auto theft, chop shops, you went to that unit, you know, it was a different unit for each type of crime. Yeah. And it takes skilled people to handle uh, sex crimes and, um, child crimes, things like that. I couldn't, I wasn't very good mentally in a place that I could do that. I was, you know, I love the cars. I love trucks. I love chop shops, drugs, vice, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe I was just too chicken to try it. I just really didn't like people in that, in that arena. I could deal with a whole lot more. I could deal with, you know, robbery. I could deal with other bad guys a lot better than I could deal with uh, suspects of those child crimes, man. And I, it could be because, you know, kids of your own. It's, it's, it takes a rare person. And this country is blessed to have those people in those jobs because we need somebody to put these bad guys away. But I was fortunate that, um, you know, I guess if I got in trouble, I might get assigned to some place, <laughs> you know, it's like, you're going to work, you know, parking tickets, you know, or something like that. Yeah. But, um, fortunately that never happened, but gotcha. all right. Anything else? No, that's, that's all, right. all I got for today. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed the, the download and we hope that, uh, if you have any questions, please stick them in there and, uh, let us know what you think. Um, it's complex. And especially the more agencies you get involved, the com more complex it can get. And when you see a, a case like right now in Georgia, it's a mod Arbery case. And 
everybody's involved in that thing. It takes time to see that stuff through because of so many different people involved. Um, if you want it done right, you got to be patient. And um, unfortunately, law enforcement has lost a little bit of trust over the years in the way they've handled things. Uh, this isn't law enforcement related, um, but certainly anytime somebody's involved where the trust issue might be missing, it's going to generate some emotion. So just um, everyone be patient, let the system play out and let the evidence lead you where it wants to go. Our, one of our major themes throughout all these podcasts is follow the evidence. The evidence will take you where you need to go. Right. And um, got 12 in the box, ready to make a decision for long. Um, this may, this case may drag out in a while, but uh, I think they'll be good. I think they'll make the right decision. And um, they're feeding a little bit of information to the public. I think kind of trying to uh, keep them informed as to what's going on inside the courtroom, yeah. which I think is good. Um, just want everybody to be reasonable and keep clear heads about it. And let's, let's see where it goes. So yeah, for sure. All right, man. Until the next time. Well, there you go. Another great case in the books. Be sure and tune in next week when we unpack a new one. And I hope you have a good week. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you haven't already, go subscribe to our show. And if you liked it, maybe go get a buddy or two to go subscribe to it as well. Give us a like, a comment, a rating, whatever it is that you're watching this on. And make sure to give us some feedback because we want to make sure that we're doing the absolute best we can for our audience. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next time on Criminal Motives Behind the Crime Scene Tape.